Shem Koyisrael. Rosa Ruchel Herskovitz recounts she lived in pre war Hungary, a little city called Siget, just before World War II and the Nazis and Hitler Yermach Shimon cast their long shadow over the Jewish people. And Rachel's father was a very distinguished businessman and considered a tzaddik, a righteous man by the community. His mother, too, was regarded by everyone with respect, admiration as a righteous woman, constantly doing mitzvot, good deeds, and kindness for the entire community. One day, Yosef Moshe Zecherman, Rachel's mother, Rachel's father, sorry, was not feeling well. He went to the doctor and the doctor told him that he needed a surgery. It should be a relatively standard surgery, nothing too serious. And he took his young 18-year-old daughter, Rachel, with him. But just before he went into the surgery, into the hospital, he decided to take his daughter to his little office. And he sat down with a very serious face. He said, Rachel, I owe Mr. Schwartz this and this amount of money. Please pay him back. And I owe Mr. Hyman this amount of pekros. And Rachel didn't understand. She said, what are you talking about, Tata? First go to the operation. I don't know what you're talking about. But then, Rachel's father pulled little Rachel over and said, listen, Minkain, my child, I promise you, you will marry one day and you will have wonderful and religious children. He released his grip, slumped forward and collapsed in his chair. Rachel screamed for help. A nurse rushed to her father's side, felt his pulse and pronounced grimly, he's dead. And Rachel fainted on the floor. At her father's funeral, Rachel remembered all of these women who she had never seen before screaming, Tate, Tate, who's going to pay for the fish on Shabbos? Who's going to pay for the matzahs on Pesach? Who's going to bring us wood for the winter? And of course, Rachel didn't understand who these women were. Only later, the Sigeda Rebbe, the Rebbe of Seget, told her that these were widows who her father had secretly been supporting without anyone knowing. And again, it just established more in Rachel's mind the saintliness of her father. In 1944, Hungary was invaded by the Nazis, Yamach Shemam. And Rachel and her mother got ensnared in Hitler's web. The whole community was herded like animals into crowded cattle cars. And they lived in the most inhumane circumstances. No water, no food, no toilets. And the train finally came to a halt. They spilled into the tracks and there was chaos. The families were clinging tightly to each other, but they were brutally separated by the Nazis. No time for even a last kiss. Rachel tried her best to hold on to her mother, but she was unsuccessful. A young inmate whose job was to unload the dead bodies came over and said, do you know what the Nazis do to young women like you? Horrible things. They rape them, they torture them, and when they're done, they throw them into the furnaces. 
Then he looked to Rachel's mother. I don't know whose fate is worth, he said. Girls like you get a temporary reprieve, maybe a few months, but older people like your mother are thrown into the furnace upon arrival. Immediately Rachel said, then I don't want to live. I want to stay with my mother. If she dies, I want to die. Can you help me? And the boy tried, missed all the confusion. The boy tried to make a ruckus which allowed Rachel to run without anyone noticing back to her mother. But time after time, she was noticed. Until the third time she did this, Mengele himself beat Rachel until she went unconscious. When she woke up, she was underneath a pile of dead bodies. She dragged herself out of the hut. She pulled with her another girl trying to save her life. And a Nazi shot the girl that she had, you know, snuck out and killed her. When the guard disappeared from view, Rachel crept along the ground and crawled in. And who did she see? Five of her best friends. They screamed, Chaya Rachel, you're alive. They gave her some water, a little bit of coffee, and it revived her. It was then that Rachel realized that her mother was gone. She teared Kriya. She teared her garment. And it was terrible. The five girls said, we'll take care of you. And so it was. Those five, those six girls became family, keeping each other alive. On three separate occasions, they were called for final selection. And on three separate occasions, there was a last minute reprieve. Each time, as they headed towards the crematorium, Mengele said, ah, the quota was filled. There was simply no more room in the gas chambers for any more bodies. One night, Rachel had a strange dream. In the dream, her father appeared and said in a loud and clear voice, Rachel, be sure you're the first one in line for selection tomorrow morning. When he woke up, when she woke up, Rachel told her friends about the dream. They didn't understand. Why would you ever volunteer to be the first for selection? It was like automatic death. But Rachel knew to trust her father. And she said, listen, you can do whatever you want to do. My father, apparently he misses me. He wants me to be there with him in the heavens. So I'm going to do his bidding. And they all said goodbye. In the morning, Rachel found that her five friends were standing there with him. She said, what are you doing here? They said, listen, we, we talked about your father and the dream, and we know how righteous your father was and how special he was, what a holy man he was. If he told you to volunteer for selection, we're in too. We're holding on to you, Rachel. Mengele waved them in the direction of the crematorium. They were stripped naked. And they entered into the building labeled showers. Later, of course, they, they learned, of course, they had already heard that this is just a ruse. And gas flowed out of the shower heads, not water. The doors opened. They filed in. They said, Shema Yisrael. The prayer said before death. They stood under the shower heads and they waited for death. But to their utter joy and shock, Water came out, not gas. 
They yelled, it's water. And they survived. Later they found out that the German city of Breslau had just been bombed and was completely destroyed. The Germans needed laborers and fast to rebuild the city. And so they were taken to a work camp in Breslau. And there they stayed together alive until the end of the war when they were liberated. Rachel met her husband in a displaced persons camp in Germany in 1949. And she began to rebuild her shattered life. And soon she learned she was pregnant. This was a cause for great joy, but the labor and the delivery was very physically hard for her. Rachel is a very small woman and the baby was huge. After a very difficult labor, the doctor had to resort to a C-section and despite the last minute recourse, the baby was born dead and Rachel herself almost died. The doctor warned, you can't have any more children. Another delivery will kill you. Even C-sections are too dangerous for your frail health. But she couldn't accept the pronouncement as true. Rachel wanted to believe that she'd have children. She ran around to many specialists, hoping that one of them would retract the first doctor's opinion. But not a single one of them told her the words that she was longing to hear. They each said, don't dare get pregnant again. But Rachel, she was a feisty woman, a strong-willed woman. She had a mind of her own. And five months later, she was pregnant again. The second time around, the C-section was even more problematic than the first. The scenario was almost identical, but there was one critical exception. Once again, Rachel almost died, but this time, a baby, a big boy weighing over 11 pounds, lived. You're very, very lucky that you survived this time, the doctor angrily admonished. But don't you dare think of conceiving again. You must go on birth control immediately. Will you finally listen to me? Half a year later, Rachel was pregnant again. For obvious reasons. She was reluctant to tell her doctor, but after a few months of ex later when she was in excruciating back pain, she went and visited the doctor. What have you done? The doctor screamed. I told you not to get pregnant. You must have an abortion or you'll die. Once again, Rachel checked out the various specialists and all concurred with the first doctor's determination. And to make matters even more complicated. Rachel's brother, who was a very pious man, got involved. He said, you have to be a mother for the son you already have. He went to three different sages, and all of them unanimously agreed that an abortion was religiously acceptable when a mother's life was at genuine risk. Since both the rabbis and the doctors agreed, Rachel had to yield to her husband, to her brother, and to the powers that would be. And she agreed to have the pregnancy terminated. The night before the abortion, Rachel's sleep was restless and tormented. All night long, she remembered. She remembered the scenes of her father who blessed her. Chaya Rachel, I promise you will marry and you will have wonderful religious children. Of her mother, who right before her death had also repeated Chaya Rachel, go back to the other side. You will live. You will marry. You have wonderful religious children. Children, not child. Plural, not singular. How could her parents be wrong? Throughout the night, Rachel thought about her mother and father 
how much they had loved her, how much they had sacrificed for her, and how they had both tried to save his life, her life. Both so saintly, so pious, so holy. And both had blessed her with the same bracha, same blessing, children. But if she had an abortion tomorrow, she would have only one child. The next morning she decided she couldn't do it. She can't live with herself. She can't have an abortion. So she tiptoed through the house while her husband slept, grabbed her infant son, and fled to a friend's house. She said, listen, I had a fight with my husband and I want to teach him a lesson. Can I stay? I knew, Rachel said. If she told her the truth, she would be kicked out of the house. At four in the morning, four in the afternoon, sorry, she opened the door and she found the entire household in an uproar. Her husband and her brother were crying and the police had been summoned. She turned to her husband and said, I know you're angry with me and you can do whatever you want with me. But my mother and father promised me kinder, children, not one child. And I believe in the power of their blessing. I cannot and will not throw away the child that is growing inside of me. And so her husband and their brother surrendered to Rachel. The pregnancy was terrible and the prognosis remained poor. But Rachel had tremendous faith in her parents' blessing and, of course, in God. No one else hoped or trusted, but I knew differently. Not once in my parents' lifetimes had they let me down. Don't worry. I'll have a daughter and your deceased mother of blessed memory will have a namesake. On the morning of Tisha B'Av, the fast day that commemorates the destruction of the temple, Rachel was wheeled to the, to the delivery room for a C-section and through the haze of anesthesia, heard the doctor say, it's a girl. As both her parents promised, her son and daughter grew up to be wonderful and religious children. Between them, they have 20 grandchildren, all of whom following the path of their forefathers. Honor your mother and father so that your days may be lengthened, the Torah in the Ten Commandments says. In this case, not only was Rachel's life saved, but because of her love and respect for her parents, her children and her grandchildren's lives also were saved. Three generations alive today because Rachel took that commandment seriously and incorporated it into every aspect of her life. May we all be blessed to honor our parents. And thank you to Yida Halverstam and Judith Leventhal for the amazing true story that you taught me and that I have had the opportunity to share with you. I hope you enjoyed today's story from Saul Miracles for Families. Signing out from a rainy little city near Hebron. Have a beautiful day.